tonight gathering. How are we doing tonight? All right, fantastic. Grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter one. That's where we're gonna be tonight. And uh, for this whole summer session, we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. And so if you are looking for something to read, um, it takes, I did it yesterday uh, for the umpteenth time in, in preparation. It takes about 20 minutes to read the entire book of Ephesians. And man, it is thick of good stuff. Like I, 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 I have been, I, I can't tell you the excitement and the nerves I have for tonight's message. I'm, I'm so excited to share with you um, just the richness of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, but at the same time, there's so much meat. Um, this, is, this is some of the most rich doctrine and practical application stuff in the entire Bible. And so um, it's, been a, it's been a while since I have been nervous, um, but leading up to this, my excitement is both just to share God's word with you, but also I want to do a really good job of laying out the good news of the gospel and how that plays out in our life. Um, because that's not the gospel that I heard growing up. It was do this or you're bad. Do this and God will be disappointed. And so we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians uh, for eight weeks and uh, just soak it in. And so I want to start tonight just really quick by uh, kind of just bringing us all to what I think is a pretty familiar place. And that is new employee orientation. All right, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's that, it's, that, it's that meeting that's really weird because you're excited to be there because you just got a job. But at the same time, it can be and usually is one of those most mundane and boring things. Because you just got the job. You want to get going. You want to do what you were hired to do. You want to get moving. You want to earn. You want to achieve. You, like, this is who we are. All right. And I remember the very first job that I took that had an employee orientation was a summer camp when I was in college. Um, and when I first got there, I realized, like, why do we have to have orientation? Like, this, is, this could not be an easier job. Like, let's have fun, bring in the campers, let's go. But when I got there, what I realized was this is a bigger deal than I thought it was. And we would, we, they gave us this, this, they called it a playbook at Canuck. It was about this big. And page after page of the history of camp. They would tell us how it started, who was involved when it started, what happened through the 60s and 70s and 80s, like, like the whole history. And then they would pound into us the vision and the mission of camp. This is what you're here for. This is what we're going to be doing this summer. And then the rest of the playbook was, this is how we're going to do it. I mean, we had to take tests on what we studied. We had like safety stuff. And I mean, like, it, was, it was a lot. And thank goodness they did because my inclination was, hey, let's just get there, not a big deal, let's just go. Bring the campers and, and we'll figure it out. Well, you and I both know that's a terrible idea. Like it would have not gone well. I have never, when I got there, I had never worked with children. But in my youthful arrogance, I thought, hey, this can't be that hard. Like we'll play basketball and go swimming, whatever. But after, having done the job for multiple summers, I realized, man, that was... That was, I'm, they knew what they were doing. Because there was value. So here's, here's how we'd do it. We'd wake up, we'd eat breakfast, and then we'd go to sessions. We'd sit in this hot, sweaty, humid gymnasium, and we would walk through the playbook. And then we'd get a break, and then we'd go do manual labor 
to get the camp ready. We'd paint stuff, we'd clean stuff, we'd move stuff. It was not fun. It is called work week for a reason. And then we'd eat lunch and then we'd go back, I mean, right after lunch too, seriously. Right after lunch, we'd go back into that gym and we would open our playbooks and we would start working through the employee orientation, what it means. And then we'd go back out and do more manual labor. And we did this for 10 days, nonstop. And, and it was a good thing we did it. And the reason I say that is because we do, we, like when we get a new job, we're just excited to do it. And I think a lot of this, the same mentality, this is how we're wired. This same mentality bleeds into our faith. We come to faith in Jesus. We're excited about it. We're like, all right, let's go. And what do we want to do right away? Let's go do something. Let's make a difference for the Lord. Let's get busy doing the church stuff. Let's get busy being, being in, in community. And, and we'll go to this thing on Tuesday nights. And then we'll go Wednesday. And we'll go on the trip. And we'll go, like, right? That's, we just want to start doing stuff. But I think sometimes, if you're anything like me, what, what I miss in the eagerness and the excitement of this new faith in Jesus is I forget to do the new employee orientation. I forget to learn what is it that has already been done that I am now to live on and build on and go live out. That's what the book of Ephesians is especially the first three chapters. And that's what we're gonna do this summer. The first three chapters are just for us to sit and listen and learn about what God has already accomplished before we then in chapter four and five walk it out. And then in chapter six, we're taught then once we've sat and listened and learned the history and the mission and the vision of God, we then walk it out very practically. And then in chapter six, then we stand against the schemes of the devil, right? So Ephesians is just like growing up in the faith all over again. And so what we're gonna do for at least the first three weeks is we're just gonna sit and we're gonna look at God's word and we're gonna look at this letter from Paul and ask the question, what has already been done? that now I can build on and live on and walk out, all right? So that's where we're gonna be. Sit, walk, stand. If you're taking notes, the subject of tonight is following Jesus starts with sitting. Following Jesus starts with sitting because the Christian experience does not begin with walking, but sitting. It's this attitude of resting, right? It reminds me of Matthew 29 or sorry, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. When we're tired, when we need a break, we sit. And so this sitting before God's word is an act of active rest. We're just gonna sit and we're gonna listen because to be useful in God's hand as we walk we first must be properly oriented as to what God has already done. You see, this is an identity thing. This is a confidence thing. This is a mission and a value and a vision thing. Right? Like, I think about any of the jobs that I've had in my life. If I had just walked in on day one and said, get out of my way, I'm going to do what I think I need to do. Like, you know that's not going to work out well. I'm going to be frustrated Kids' lives are gonna be in danger. <laughs> like, 
It would not have gone well if I hadn't first sat before I walked and then I need to walk before I can stand. All right, so that's where we're going. If you're in Ephesians 1 already, great. If not, let's get there. A couple quick facts about Ephesians is one, we see Paul is the author. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus from a prison in Rome. And this is called a traveling letter. Like it was written, yes, for Ephesus, but once it was there, they would pass it around the region, all right? So it'd be like if they were writing a letter to Oklahoma City, the church in Oklahoma City, and then we would, we would hand it off to Norman and uh, Ardmore and Bartlesville, like it would be the region. It would pass around, it would travel. And so Ephesus, though, was kind of the economic hub of that area. It was a major city in the Roman Empire, and this whole letter is a combination of Christian faith and Christian living. Another way to say it is this, this whole letter of Ephesians is Christian doctrine and Christian duty. It is what do we believe and how do we live it out? That's the two things that, that Paul is doing here. So let's look at verse one and verse two. We're gonna, guys, I'm gonna be honest. Like we could do an entire series on what we're gonna cover tonight. Like almost every word of the first 14 verses of this chapter are important. Like it changes the meaning. So here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What he does in these first two verses is two things. He identifies the author and the audience. All right, and the audience is the holy people in Ephesus. You, you, if you've grown up in church at all, you know that word holy means set apart. It means I am writing to people who are set apart in Ephesus. Set apart for what? Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, so we're living in two realities here, right? There's the holy people set apart who are in a physical city, Ephesus. And then you have these people who are faithful but they are in Christ. And this is a theme that Paul is about to take off on. It is a physical reality and a spiritual reality. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about is two realities. And we see it right here, right? And he says, you are in Christ. That means we're united with Christ. You see, most of our spiritual struggles come from our failure to remember that we are citizens of two kingdoms. A physical kingdom where we live, and a spiritual kingdom in Christ. What ends up happening is we get so focused on this that we forget about this. Or the opposite is we get so into our faith that we forget about the world. And Paul's saying, no, 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 these two realities intermix, all right? And so we, we need to recognize that because Paul's about to go off on this. And so Paul is addressing a faithful audience of believers and who follow Jesus. Now, this is an important, important note. It's uncomfortable, maybe, but it's important to know that what is to follow does not apply to those who are not following Christ. This is a letter to the family, the holy people in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. And so if you're a believer today, if you're, if you're here, if you're watching at home, if you are a believer, the next several verses are awesome. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that is okay. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're tuning in. Here's what I want you to listen for. I want you to listen 
to the goodness of God. And I want you to listen, not just to the goodness of God, but what is available and that what you were invited into in Christ. Because I grew up in a church, you've heard my story before, I grew up in a church where there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame and it was do this and don't do that. And if you, if you do this, then you, you're a bad kid. And, and then in my older years, I read Ephesus or Ephesians and it started to change my whole view. And so if you're a believer, I hope this is encouraging to you. If you're not a believer, would you please stay with us and listen to the goodness of the God of the Bible and what he has already done. Let's read. Guys, I'm, I'm gonna read straight through, three through 14. And in the Greek, this is one long sentence. I love Paul. This was me in high school. Did not know how to write. I just wrote like I spoke. And that's what Paul does. So buckle up, here we go. Verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us or caused to prosper us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, benefit in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, God predetermined or determined beforehand for us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse seven, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he poured out in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we are also chosen, having been predetermined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were, were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13, and you also are included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Whew! That is awesome. That's like, I, I know we're in Oklahoma, but I grew up in Iowa. That's like a snowball on the top of a hill and it's just rolling and picking up more snow and more snow as it descends down. And by the time it gets to the bottom, you're like, whoa, look what God has done. We can sit in this and we need to sit in this. I think sitting in Ephesians chapter one will radically change your life. It will change how you worship. It will change how you work. It will change how you date. It'll change how you go every day of your life. It will change every relationship you have because of what God has already done. One of the things that I notice about this text is who's doing all of the heavy lifting. You know who it's not? You and me. It is all about what God has done. 
before you and I were even an idea has been accomplished. So let's walk, go back and let's start walking through this. I got four main points tonight. Verse three, Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, that word blessed means caused to prosper, who has caused you to prosper us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, benefit in Christ. My first point is that the believer, number one, is blessed by God. He is caused to prosper the believer. And then he brings in this this idea that I told you was coming, the heavenly realms. This is a reference to the unseen world of a spiritual reality. All right, we know this. This is not material blessing. A lot of people, a lot of faiths, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors will take this verse and say, God wants to bless you with a better job and a bigger house and a bigger income and a beautiful spouse and wonderful children and a nicer car. That is not what this is talking about in any stretch of the imagination. He's talking about blessings in the spiritual realm. Let me give you, like, we live in the perfect moment for this, to understand this in a very unique way, all right? So over the last year, many of you, if not all of you, either in school or in your job, you worked from home. There was a physical reality of you at your desk, in your place, on the computer. That is physically where you are. But there's this other reality called work, the company that you work for that you are not at but you work for them. And in this physical reality, guess what you have? You have every access to every resource of this company, even though you're working at home. Does that make sense? We have a physical reality, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have been blessed with every spiritual benefit. Right, in that new employee orientation, what do they show you? Here's the benefits of this job. This is us as Christians. Every spiritual benefit has been given to you. You've been blessed. Caused to prosper. Living in two places. You see, God wants our position in heaven, in the heavenly realms, to dictate how we live out in our life. And guys, this is not a foreign concept to us at all. We know What happens here at work or at school, wherever you were virtually this year, dictated what you did here, right? This is what Paul's saying. That God, in his mercy and grace and love, before creation, has given us every spiritual blessing, every benefit. And now we live it out here on earth. Let's move on. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us, decided in advance for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of, the glorious, of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. My second point is that the believer is chosen and adopted by the Father. For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. The work is done. It's done. I love these five words, right? He says, he chose us 
in him. God chose us in Christ. Now this entire book of Ephesians is written to the church, a corporate body of believers. And so this choosing is God has chosen a people to be his. Before time, this is how it's gonna play out. I'm gonna choose a people, the church, God's holy people to be his. So this is not choosing, he doesn't choose on our merit, he chooses us in whom? In Christ. It is because of Christ that a people are chosen. And so he chooses us. He chooses, he chooses to make us, we did not exist yet, his own children through the redeeming work of Christ. Like he had this plan before anyone had a breath. He had a plan. And it was to choose a people for himself. And what you're gonna see through the book of Ephesians is it starts in the Old Testament with the Israel, God's chosen people, right? And then where you're gonna see in the next couple verses and the next couple chapters is that God includes us, the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, the non-Jews. He says, no, I have chosen a people and it includes everybody. The gospel is for all. In John 6, 44, Jesus says this, no one can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent him draws them. I will raise them up at the last day. What that tells me from Jesus' own words is it is like I, we use the phrases within the church like I gave, I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. God drew you in and you responded to Jesus. That's his plan. He chose before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So he's given us a purpose, right? And then in verse five, the news gets better. He says, he predestined us, which just means he decided in advance for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So not only are we chosen, we're adopted. We're not spiritual foster kids living in a temporary situation. Just hoping beyond hope that it doesn't end, that we don't screw it up. That's not our situation. For the believer in Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. We have a new family. We have a new father, which means we have a new identity and we have a new name and we have a new mission. We have a new vision. Because God, before time, chose you and adopted you to be his. Do you guys ever watch, maybe just on, on, your, on your feed, whatever, those random adoption videos? You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, man. Like, I, I, I love them, but they bring up emotions that I don't like to experience. I don't like crying, okay? But man, like, adoption is the game changer. It is the game changer. Because not only are you chosen, but in those videos, you see, like, the parents sit down, put their phone, right? And they either slide a gift across the table or an envelope across the table, and depending on how old the kid is, they open it and they read it. Like I just get teary just thinking about it. Because in that moment, that kid's life is forever changed. It's no longer a temporary situation, it is a permanent situation. No longer could they just be given away because they, they did the wrong thing or had the wrong attitude or they were just too much. 
Their whole life is forever changed and they've been chosen. And they're into a new family. And now they have full family rights. The inheritance, the name, the home, they're in. And then in verse five, what a wonderful thing. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure. With his pleasure. Guys, I don't know about you, but I grew up not believing God was happy. I grew up believing that God was mad or at best grumpy. But before creation, he decided that he was gonna choose a people and he was going to adopt them into his family because he was happy to do so according to his pleasure. He was giddy. He was excited to adopt. Too often I think we live like spiritual foster kids. We're afraid that it's not real. That man, if I just do the wrong thing, God's love for me will end and he'll smite me and he'll kick me out and I won't be welcome anymore. And that is not true. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, as the Lord of your life, you are adopted and brought in. There is no foster care with God. That's why it is so important for us to sit. It is so important for us to sit. We need to be rightly oriented to our position in Christ. Because too often we try and position ourselves outside of Christ, trying to earn it, trying to deserve it. And so before we walk, we have to sit with the truth, the wonderful truth of what God has already done. And that by putting your faith in Christ, now your position is way better than you could have imagined. Chosen, adopted, we sit and we remember whose you are. Whose you are. Because when we're adopted into a new family, you belong to a new family. And I'll tell you what, if we remembered our position in Christ, we would date differently. We would speak differently. We would engage social media differently. You see, being adopted into the family is the game changer. But too often we forget our position in Christ is adopted. And so this changes everything. Let's move on, verse seven. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Holy cow, there's a lot right there. <laughs> I'm just gonna talk about the first verse. My third point is that the believer is redeemed and forgiven by the son. We are blessed by God. We are chosen and adopted by the father. And we are redeemed and forgiven by the son. This, 
man, this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel that God, before you were ever in a thought, set into motion a plan to redeem, a plan to adopt, a plan for his people to come to him. Redemption just simply means deliverance by payment of a price, which means we had to be purchased, right? We're no longer our own. Jesus paid a price on the cross for us. We've been redeemed. Like when I think redeemed, I think coupons. I don't know if you guys do coupons. Maybe that's a generational gap between us. But I grew up, my mom couponed. Like she was one of those people. Every Sunday night, she'd get the Sunday paper and she'd cut them out. She'd, you know, whatever. And she'd go to the store and she'd lay down the PB&J or whatever it was. And they would say, it's this much money. She's like, wait, hold on. I'm gonna redeem this, right? At a hugely discounted rate. And now what happens? There's an exchange that happens. A legal exchange that what was not ours is now ours. And so God, through Christ, has redeemed us. And so we are his. Not only have we been redeemed, we've been forgiven. Right? That idea of letting someone go as if they had never committed that act. That blows our mind. Because when we start talking about this stuff, what ends up happening is we, we um, the danger is that we get into over-personifying God. We, we, we take human attributes and we assign them to God. And we start saying, well, I mean, I, mean, I don't know if I can forgive that. So surely God can't forgive this. Nope. He knows. This plan was set in motion before time, before you ever did that. Before you ever thought that or looked at that or took part in that, this plan was in motion to redeem and to forgive that is incredible. Another way to say this is that you have been pre-approved. If you've ever bought a house or maybe a car and you've gotten a loan, the power of a pre-approval letter is gold. Because you can walk in and say, I'm pre-approved. They're like, okay, let's talk. Because they know it's been paid, like you got the money. God says, no, 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 I will take care of this. I will redeem them, I will pay the price. And I will forgive them as if they never, in Christ. Christ has redeemed us. And then we gotta, again, just like the last time, verse eight, what did he do? Oh man, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. He lavished grace. In chapter two of Ephesians says that God is rich in mercy. We'll get there. But right now, God is rich in grace. Money don't matter to him. He is rich in grace. He is rich in undeserved favor. And he, la- I don't know what vision comes to your mind when you think lavish. I think stuff falling from the ceiling, right? It's just pouring over the balcony. Like you can't avoid it. It is going to get you. And it says God has lavished over and over and over his grace upon you. He's not withholding any spiritual gift from you. Any spiritual benefit is yours as a Christian. And then in verse nine, once again, it says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. He didn't lavish his grace on us begrudgingly. It was his joy to do it. 
It's what makes him happy. It was his good pleasure to do it. Guys, I cannot describe to you when I grew up how, how foreign this concept was to me as, as a young Christian. And maybe you were right there with me. You were like, this is crazy. I'm not, this is the first time I'm hearing this. Good, sit, soak it in. This is the gospel. That God, before time, chose you, adopted you, put a plan in motion to redeem you, to buy you back from sin, and then to take that sin and forgive it. Whoo! Let's go, verse 13. And you also were included, us Gentiles, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. When you believed, put your faith in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. My fourth point and last point is that the believer is sealed by the spirit. He, when you believed, I don't know if you were five, I don't know if you were at VBS, I don't know if you were at youth camp, I don't know if you were in college, but when you believed, you put your faith in Jesus, you recognized your sin and that you were in need of a savior and you said, Jesus, help me, I am yours. I'm ready to follow you, give my life. When you believed, you were marked in that moment. You were marked. Again, we don't see the mark because that's in the spiritual realm. You're marked. I'm like, how can, I was thinking like, how can I, how can I, how can I drive this home? And this is what I came across. When you believe in Christ as Lord of your life and savior from your sin, God puts you inside an envelope called Christ. And he seals it with the Holy Spirit. This is what God put into motion. He knew who we would be. He knew what we would, what we would easily run to. And he said, I'm gonna put into motion a plan to choose them and adopt them and redeem them and forgive them and seal them. He did not forget the details. As a Christian, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is the down payment, right? This is God's spiritual in the heavenly realms down payment. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation as a guarantee on my promise. Again, let's not over-personify because I put down down payments before. And then I was like, I'm not gonna do that. I can't afford that. Whoops, lost my down payment. Let's not over-personify God. He said, I am going to do this. I'm going to give you my spirit as a guarantee that he will give us our inheritance. And at the end in verse 14, he says, all of this, Paul says, all of this that I've written is for 
the praise and glory of God. Guys, this is why we sing worship music. This is why we invest half of our time on Sundays, half of our time on Tuesdays to worship. It's not because we gotta fill time. It's because there is a God who knows you and loves you and before you were an idea in anyone's mind, before you were cute and adorable as a child, he put into motion a plan to redeem you because he knew, he knew. And this is why we worship him. This is why we sing. And Paul says as much, he did this. God did this so that you would praise and glorify him. And so what has God done? We have to sit with that. Before we get busy doing the church stuff and doing the Christian stuff, before we, before we get going, maybe, I, maybe before we start our day. Hmm? Hmm? Before we start our day, before we open our phone, before we shoot off the email, we sit and we read Ephesians chapter one, one through 14, over and over and over to remind us of what God has done, to remind us of the mission and the vision of our God. Before we move, before we walk it out, we need to sit. So this is what he's done. I added a couple on this list. They're gonna be on the screen well into 120 seconds, but here we go. God has blessed us with every spiritual benefit. He has chosen us before we existed. He adopted us into his family. He redeemed us from slavery to sin. He has forgiven us from our sin. He has lavished grace on us. He has made known to us his plans. He has included us in his plans and he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Come on. That, that's it. Like, this is why we sing. This is why we do church. This is why we follow Jesus. Because the work is finished on the cross of Christ. The last thing Jesus said is, it is finished. And so we don't live. We don't live our faith out to earn. We don't live our faith out to make sure that I'm good with God. He has already said, I got the plan. Just come to me. Follow me. And you will find rest for your souls and you will find salvation in Christ. Because what the one, I didn't even get into this. If you just do a word study in this, in Christ, in him, in Christ, it's over and over and over. It's all about being in Jesus, in relationship with him. Not a religion, not in a church attendance, it is being with Christ. We are all those things because of our relationship, our connection to Christ. What I don't see in this text is church attendance, good behavior, that's not what I see. I see that God has done the work. And so before we walk it out, we need to sit and recognize what God has done. So what do we do with this? Guys, I gotta be honest. When I got to this point in my sermon prep, I was like, well, I don't, uh, this whole lesson's about sitting. So what, like, so what? Like usually the so what's like, all right, let's go do this. Try this. So I wanna give you three things. I think I only gave two to the team, but I'm gonna add one. Number one, sit and rest and remember what God has done. Just take some time and sit. Maybe you read over Ephesians. Sit down, read the whole letter and get it all in context. Just sit with it, soak it in. 
Number two, and this is for those in the audience that are maybe that watching that maybe you have done the religious thing and you've done the attendance thing, but maybe for the first time you sit in the finished work of God through Christ on your behalf and you surrender. You give your life to Christ for the first time. You stare over the last 40 minutes or whatever, I've probably gone over time, but like you sit and you're like, that's who God is? Okay, now let's talk. Then let's talk. Whether that's with me or our prayer team or a friend that brought you, like let's talk. Now that you've sat just for 35, 40 minutes and seen the goodness of God towards you, maybe this first time you surrender. And number three, we're gonna do what Paul said all that he wrote was for, praise him. Praise him. Whether that's physically singing, which we will do again in a minute because of this, or maybe it's just in your prayer time. Stop asking and just praise him. That before creation, he put into a plan that he chose a people to be his, to be adopted into his family, that you're not a spiritual foster kid. That he not only has redeemed you and purchased you with the blood of Christ, he has taken the sin from the cross and he has forgiven it. And then he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Praise him for that. I don't praise God because I had a good day. I praise God because of Ephesians chapter one. Because whether it's a good day or a bad day or a good season or a bad season, this stuff is timeless. And even on my worst days, I can thank and praise the Lord that he has done the work and that he saw it in his good pleasure to invite us in. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God's entire goal is for humanity to be with him. So maybe it's time for you to be with him. So we can't miss sitting and remembering. We don't work for the affection of God. We work from the affection of God. You've been pre-approved, so sit and rest so that you will be ready to walk out the mission with which Christ calls us. Sit and rest so that you'll be ready to take a stand against the enemy. Sit and rest in the truth that as a believer in Jesus, you have been blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, included, and sealed. All for the praise and glory of his name. It's not about you. It's not about me, it's about him. So as we go into 120 seconds, I'm gonna ask that you'll put that list back on the screen. Blessed, chosen, adopted. And let's just sit. Maybe you quietly praise him. Maybe you just kind of work through that list. That's not the list, the other one. And let's just take two minutes. Every week I'm, I'm shocked at how long two minutes is of silence. But can we just actively praise him? Just right where you're sitting. And then the band will come back up and we'll sing. Let's pray. Lord, I just wanna thank you for, God, my words don't, man, words don't, don't express 
We do not have the words, the language, the capability to express the gratitude, the eternal gratitude that we have. God, that before time, you put into motion a plan and that you have included us in this plan. You have told us about it. You have redeemed us. You've forgiven us. You've chosen us. You've adopted us. You've sealed us. God, thank you. So God, help us to turn our eyes to you over our circumstances. Help us turn our our eyes and our heart to you over our situations. And no matter what valley we may be in or mountaintop we're in, God, that we would praise you, not for our material blessing, but because of our spiritual blessing, the benefits that come with following Christ. In your son's name, amen.